This is the Innovation Engine Podcast. Every Monday, we bring you interviews with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. We talk about company culture, corporate leadership, emerging trends in technologies, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global's headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be looking at growth through innovation with Mark Schaefer. Among the topics we'll discuss are how to use the social web to become a person of influence, why we should all learn how to get past the decline of face-to-face conversations, and when and how to use your social media accounts to punch your clients and your customers in the nose. Mark Schaefer joins us on this week's episode of the podcast to discuss those topics and more. Mark is the founder and executive director of Schaefer Marketing Solutions, a marketing company that helps businesses grow through social media, content, and strategic marketing. His portfolio includes seven patents, two graduate degrees, a mentorship with Peter Drucker, and five best-selling marketing books, including The Content Code, The Dow of Twitter, and Return on Influence. Mark is a regular blogger at Grow, one of the top marketing blogs in the world, and he teaches graduate-level marketing classes at Rutgers University. He's been a keynote speaker at a number of well-known events worldwide, including South by Southwest, Marketing Summit Tokyo, and the Institute for International and European Affairs. He's also the co-host of The Marketing Companion, one of the top 10 marketing podcasts on iTunes. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. I am so delighted to be here with you today. Absolutely. We're, we're thrilled to have you on. So let me ask about a recent blog post that you wrote for the Grow blog, Mark. It's about building trust with customers. And you talk about a recent research study from the Boston Consulting Group where they talk about the concept of the apostle audience. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and that has some distinct similarities to what you call the alpha audience. Could you share what those concepts are with listeners and why they're so important? Yeah, it's funny. When I read that article, I thought, oh my gosh, he's writing about the same thing. This is great. Uh, he, he did this research that basically substantiated some of the the concepts, uh, the research, and the original ideas I had in, in the book, in the content code. And it's basically this, that in this world of information density, that publishing is simply not enough. In fact, there's no economic value. In fact, there's a negative economic value to publishing unless people see it and share it. And so we need to focus on this elite group of people who actually shares content. These are the people who are really the, the bedrock of your business. They're creating the value for your business. And I saw this post um, quoting this research from the Boston Consulting Group, and they're basically saying the same thing. They're not calling it the alpha audience. They're calling it the apostle audience. These are the people who are spreading your word. And this is just critically important because, you know, Will, uh, I wrote the book. It's, it's, it came out about 
eight or nine months ago. And I've been going all over the world talking to companies and groups about these ideas. And I ask every one of them, do you know who are the people who are sharing your content the most? And I've never had someone say yes. And these are the people who are really driving the economic benefits for your marketing and, the so, and social media. And so we, so what I'm suggesting is we need to identify who are these people, where are they, what are they sharing, how are they sharing, and why. And if it's 2% of your audience today, wouldn't it be a very interesting marketing goal for 2016 to say, you know, we're going to take that 2% and drive it to 3%, drive it to 4%. Can you imagine what would happen if you doubled your, your, your advocacy, your online advocacy? Wouldn't that be an interesting leading indicator for sales? Yeah, and I'm sure the answer is, well, I'm not sure that the answer is, I imagine it's a little bit of both, but do you recommend that apostles or the alpha audience be internal or external or some kind of mix? Well, you know, my... My research basically focused on external, and I think it is an important distinction because, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the the, the source of the research now. Will, um, oh, I, I'm just I'm I'm dropping I'm dropping the the report. But research was done that showed that internal sources like employees, for example, employee advocacy. That is a more suspicious source of advocacy than true organic advocacy outside your company. Um, I think there's a lot of um, buzz right now around uh, social organizations and social employees. Um, but there's also a lot of peril uh, associated with these concepts. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of legal issues. There's a lot of expense um, and there are some even really questionable marketing benefits because people know you work for this company. So every time you share something about this company, uh, it may not have the same value that uh, a customer would have. Yeah, definitely. So I won't ask you to share all six of the essential strategies for igniting your content, marketing, and business that you share in the book. That's the subtitle. But I will ask you to share one or two of the most vitally important that you would say if you had to give one or two of the six? Well, we've already talked a lot about this idea, or we've talked a little bit about this idea of the alpha audience. And that is the chapter in the book that seems to be getting the most attention and the most dialogue. And I think if I had to write another book, um, it might be exploring that issue, blowing out that issue um, a, a little bit more. But I think maybe the most valuable chapter in the book and maybe arguably the most fun chapter in the book is right near the beginning. And it talks about all the things that we can do to make our content more shareable. And the reason I like this is because there are ideas in here for businesses, businesses of every size and every budget. It's not a linear process, like do this first and do this second. You can pluck ideas out of a lot of these different chapters and find something that you can do today for little or no money. An example might be uh, headlines. 
And it's a shame, really, how much time people devote to creating content or a video or a podcast. And then the headline, which they put you know, at the top of their newsletter or their RSS feed, really, they don't spend much time on it. And so if I see a blog post with a title like um, five Twitter mistakes or the biggest Twitter mistakes, part five, there's no way I'm going to read that, even though it might be a wonderful article with lots of good ideas because it's not telling me what problem it's going to solve. It's not standing out. It's not creating any connection to me. And because it says part five, it's making me feel left out because I didn't see the first four parts. Why read this one? But I see, I see headlines like that all the time. And you can be trained. You can be conditioned. You can learn how to be a better headline writer. That's just as important as your content, maybe more important than your content. Because if people don't get past the headline, they're never going to get to the juicy stuff. Yeah, ch- channel your inner Matt Drudge when coming up with uh, you, with, yeah. with with headlines for your content. So, Mark, let me ask you about a topic that you write about on the blog: the <laughs> decline in face-to-face conversation in the workplace. Now that new technologies and social spaces are emerging, there have been plenty of think pieces written about how we need to find a way to get back to face-to-face conversation. But you take a different point of view. Get over it. Why <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. So, so why do you make that recommendation to to not focus on face to face conversation? Well, you know, this is a touchy topic, and it, it's a sad topic in some ways. And uh, I'm someone who really values face to face conversation. There is nothing more fun or more important than me to me than to meet a friend over coffee or lunch or dinner and have a great uh, leisurely discussion about something. Put the smartphones aside and let's really get to know each other and let's find out what's going on in each other's worlds. But those days are over and there are a lot of people like me who want them back, who are lamenting the fact that many young people today truly are losing these conversational skills. In fact, I saw one study which was really um, quite sobering. It talks about how uh, millennials and, and, the ch- and the young ch- and the children beyond the millennials are beginning to lose the ability to recognize facial cues because they're not being socialized in a way that we have for you know, the, the whole existence of the human race. They're being socialized by images on a screen, not humans. So there are weird, weird things going on. Uh, The children coming up today literally are being wired differently. And so in many sessions, many classes or workshops that I teach, someone will ask, well, what do we do about this? And my response is, look, you know, there's no going back. This This is the conversation today. And in fact, a young person who is very, very skillful at managing relationships and networking and and addressing conflict over text messages and Facebook posts may have a competitive advantage in the workplace of the future. So this is coming at us. It's coming at us fast. It's coming at us uh, in a very, very uh, big way. By 2020, 50% of the workforce is going to be millennials. These are digital natives who operate in a different way. 
And we can't be stuck on lamenting the past. We have to embrace what is here now and learn what that means to us as individuals, as parents, and as businesses. Okay, and let me ask about Return on Influence. It was the book that you published prior to The Content Code, and it focuses on growing your own referral business by becoming what you call a person of influence on social media. So can you talk a little bit about that concept and some of the ways you recommend using social media to become a person of influence? Well, I think this is a historically important time, and I'm not sure everyone really understands the opportunity before us. I mean, when I was a young person trying to make my way in business, the real brokers of influence were uh, the editor of the local newspaper, uh, someone with a big title at a big company. Maybe it was someone who had a lot of money. Maybe it was someone who married into the right family. Maybe it was someone who controls scarce resources. But while that still may matter uh, to some extent today, we also have a new way to create influence. And that goes back to this idea of creating content, but not just creating content, but content that moves. And so we see lots and lots of examples of people who are finding their voice, finding their power. This is a legitimate way to be powerful today. It doesn't matter where you live or what you look like or what your job is or what your skin color is. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. None of that, nobody cares. They're, they want to read what you have to say. They want to listen to your voice and learn from you and be and be led by you. And there's so many amazing examples today. I mean, I see more and more every day. It's, it's, it's quite inspirational. And uh, I speak at a, lot of, uh, at a lot of college classes. And I see that we're still kind of in a mode where students don't even really understand the power that's available to them and how different the world is today than when I was their age. Um, that, that they have this power within their grasp, but, but many of them don't realize it. Many of them um, aren't even really trying to, to, to make a mark in that way. They, they look at Facebook as a networking tool. They look at social media as a way to see pictures of Grumpy Cat or sports videos. But it's really an amazing, historically important opportunity to, uh, to, to, to share your voice, influence has been democratized. And, and it's, it's my hope and my wish for people to, to understand that and, and to go for it and to find their place in the world and on the web by, by sharing their voice. Yeah, and, and let me ask you about the title for your 2011 book, The Tao of Twitter. So, and am I saying that right? Is it Tao or... T yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, people, the, the, the cor correct... Chinese pronunciation is Tao, even though it's spelled T-A-O. But a lot of people say Tao. And one one person, one interview person interviewed me one time and even said, I want to ask you about 
the tail of Twitter, which that, that's probably not right. But um, Dao or Tao is, 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 is perfectly fine. And it's, it's a title that, that has a real special meaning to me because um, – and, and actually it's a great example, uh, Will, of, of me finding my voice because I had this idea – to write a, a book about the human pulse of Twitter. There were a lot of books about Twitter, but it was all about the mechanics. And it took me about six months to really figure out Twitter. I hated it at first. I thought it was the dumbest thing I ever saw. But once I started to understand that it's not all about mentions and retweets, that this was a really a human-fueled platform, uh, it was an epiphany. And I, I became passionate about, wow, I want to share this. I want to share this idea that there really is a path and it's not mechanical and it's not about algorithms. It's about, it's about content. It's about connection. It's about helping people. And that's the pulse that drives Twitter. There really is a path. And I don't know, it, it, it just, I just thought of it one day that, that, that Dao or Tao is a Chinese word that means path. And so I thought, that's it. That's it. That's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to write about. And it really means a lot to me because I first self-published that book. A lot of people don't know that. Um, the big publishers weren't interested in a little book about Twitter. They wanted a big book so that they could make more money. And I said, no, I don't want to write a big book. I want to write a little book that someone could read on a plane flight in 90 minutes and, and save them the six months it took me to really get this. So I self-published it, and I grabbed my own opportunity. So I wasn't picked by the publishers. I picked myself. I did this myself, and it became the best-selling book on Twitter, self-published. And then later it was published by, uh, by McGraw-Hill, which actually might have been a mistake. <laughs> but that's, that's a topic for another day perhaps. Uh, uh, but it was the right decision at the time, I think. But the, but, but, but the point is that, yes, there is, there is a path. And this is a book I'm so proud of because it's helped thousands of people around the world literally – um, I get messages from people every single day saying, thank you. Thank you for writing this book. It's been such a help to me. Thank you for writing this book. Um, it's, it's changed my life. It's changed my business. Yeah, well, certainly the full range of humanity on display. And I like the way you describe it as kind of the, the pulse of humanity. Uh, what are what are maybe some some instances where you've seen businesses really employ it to you know to to drive their own growth and to do more than be kind of a you know mouthpiece for yeah you know, just just pumping their own content out there? Twitter is it's kind of an enigma, and it's an enigma because it's not as intuitive as something like Facebook or YouTube. Um, there is a little language of Twitter. There's a certain etiquette of Twitter. 
there's this kind of culture and pulse. And it takes a little time to get in that flow. And you can feel like an outsider. And that's the big problem that Twitter, the company, is struggling with. Because it's not going mainstream. The people who use it love it. And they don't want to change it. And there's a lot of power there. Because um, the people who... The, the, the population that uses Twitter the most, it's, it's kind of bimodal. Um, it's very, very popular with, and I'm talking in, in, in big generalities here. I'm talking about big, big mega trends. It's popular kind of like with urban youth. And it's very, very popular with kind of educated white collar professionals. So it's like this bimodal distribution. But it really hasn't gone mainstream like, like, YouTube, Facebook, or even LinkedIn for that matter. And so it's, it's, um, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's difficult because Twitter wants it to go mainstream, but the people who really love it, uh, kind of want to keep it, uh, the way it is now businesses, the businesses who, who really understand it, um, are, are, are doing very well because the people who are in that Twitter community are very loyal to businesses who make uh, an attempt to really connect with them and share with them in, a, in an authentic way instead of just advertising. But unfortunately, most businesses, I guess they just haven't read my book. And so they try to, <laughs> they just try to use it as another way to advertise. And then they get frustrated. I had this guy write me, he said, I've given up on Twitter. I've marketed and marketed and marketed and marketed through Twitter and nothing has happened. And I said, the problem is you've marketed and marketed and marketed and marketed. People don't want that. They're sick of it. They don't want to be marketed to. They want to know you as a friend. They want to find people that will help them and listen to them. And, and that's the real human pulse of not just Twitter, but really the entire social web. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny. You mentioned it, it. It hasn't, you know, kind of gone mainstream like Facebook or YouTube or you know, some of the other services you mentioned. But you also can't turn on seemingly, you know, a network sporting event or even the, t- the local news without seeing right. somebody's Twitter handle included mm-hmm. along with their name. So it's almost becoming well, in that sense, I think it certainly is becoming mainstream. It's extraordinarily important. It's an extraordinarily important channel uh, for for research and uh, and and becoming the de facto second screen for a sporting event or a television show or a, a live event like The Voice. I mean, you look at this popular television show; the whole thing is run on Twitter, and um, so it's extraordinarily important and. Even though I, – I don't know what the latest numbers are. I think it's maybe 20, 22 percent of Americans uh, are active in Twitter in, in, in some way. The not, it's like 85 percent uh, of the population um, is aware of Twitter and, 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 and they look at tweets and they read tweets but they're not active. And Twitter hasn't really figured out how do we connect those dots? How do we activate those people? How do we involve those people? What does that mean to an advertiser? How do we measure that? How do we measure that ripple of a television show? Um, so that's that's just another example of why 
Twitter um, is profoundly important, but it is uh, it's an enigma for businesses. Yeah. So let me ask, Mark, the, the book, as you mentioned, you self-published, I believe, in 2011, and then an, yeah. updated, an updated edition was published by McGraw-Hill in 2014. How much changed yeah. with Twitter between the time those two books were written, and how much has changed with it since? I think advertising on Twitter certainly didn't exist in 2011, or I could be wrong about that. Mm. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about the evolution of the platform and what you've seen change? There was a tremendous amount of change between 2012 and 2014, which was the the latest edition. In fact, I would say that no platform changed and evolved as much on the social web compared to Twitter. They pushed the boundaries with new types of uh, advertising, new types of metrics, new types of programs for for companies, um, far beyond, I think, what LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter and other and, and Facebook and other platforms did. My view is that this has slowed down. The rate of change has slowed down in the last year to 18 months. And I think a lot of that has come because there's been some confusion at the top of the company. Um, Twitter is in the process now of bringing in a new CEO, one of the original founders, as a matter of fact. And so, um, again, this is anecdotal. I don't have any statistical measurement of rate of change, but um, I do follow the company, and my view is that um, the, the the rate of change has somewhat slowed because there's been some confusion about the commercial strategy. They've had some starts and some stops. and uh, But here's another prediction. I think in the next 12 months, that change is going to accelerate at a breathtaking pace because we've got this, we've got the new CEO and, and he knows that he's going to make some changes. He's going to make some changes fast. And uh, so we'll see. I think, I think it's, it's going to be a, a wild ride in the next few months. And do you think that will include extending beyond 140 characters? Well, there's rumors about that. Certainly, they've already changed the direct messages. Um, Twitter's pattern is they, they usually signal a change 12 to 18 months before it happens. Uh, they've been pretty consistent about that, especially when it's a controversial change. And I think it was probably about six months ago. Um, I can't remember the context, but there was a, a corporate. It was I think it was an analyst meeting, and there was some discussion about um, changing from the 140 characters. And of course, the purists are up in arms, um, as they always would be. Um, but I, I mean, to me, that's that's the signal. They raise the flag and and. So I think it's it's likely that that something's going to happen unless maybe they receive so much uh, backlash they're they're lowering the priority on that. But their pattern is twelve to eighteen months after the signal they do it. Okay, so Mark, let me ask about a recent blog post that you wrote on the Grow blog or the Grow site. In it, you dispense twenty five pieces of essential social media wisdom, which includes advice like 
punch them in the nose. So <laughs> for those that may be a little wary of throwing a virtual haymaker at their customers, can you share a few examples of when that might be a good idea or, or, or the kind of spirit of that advice? Well, the idea here is that um, I, the, the reason I wrote that is because um, I, I coach a lot of people. I mentor a lot of people. Um, people will send me emails. Can you look at my blog? Can you look at this or whatever? And so I'm giving out all this advice. I thought, well, maybe I should collect some of these things that I'm, that I'm sending out and put them into a blog post. And one of the things that frustrates me is that people are creating blog posts that are like a creative writing exercise. And I know this is not necessarily a popular notion, but it is what it is. Today, blogging is not a creative writing contest. It's a war. It's a battle for attention. It is. And so we have to write in a way that wins that battle for attention every day. So you can't waltz into your subject. Now, some people might be able to get away with that. If you're Malcolm Gladwell, you've earned an audience of tens of thousands of people. You can tell a story any way you want. But if you're still trying to earn that audience, you better get to the point. You better punch your audience in the nose and say, this is why we're here today. You better write some headline and some lead sentence that just grabs them by the throat and doesn't let them go till the end. And that's the kind of writing that, 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 we, that, it, it, that we need on the web today. Okay, nice. Well, I know we've only scratched the surface of, uh, of the topics of social media, content marketing. Uh, you also host a podcast. It's one of the top 10 marketing podcasts on iTunes. You co-host it with Tom Webster, mm -hmm. and it's called The Marketing Companion. If folks are interested in hearing more about uh, you know, the types of things that we talked about today, what are typical topics that you cover, and what have been some of your most popular episodes? Well, I think the thing that that um, that that makes this stand out. There's there's a couple things that I hear. First of all, it's funny. It's 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 really sometimes it's absolutely hilarious, and I, I take no credit for that whatsoever. Um, but um, Tom and I, Tom Webster, the co-host of the program, we're just we have a great synergy, and we're great friends, and. Tom is an absolutely hilarious guy. He's the quickest wit I know. And plus he does celebrity impersonations. And so, um, so it's very fun. It's entertaining. We do not take ourselves seriously. We poke fun at ourselves. So that's something that distinguishes it. The other thing is I'll bet you can't find a podcast on earth that has more marketing experience than what you'll find between two, the two of us. I mean, between us, we've got more than 50 years of marketing experience. There, there isn't anything like that out there today. And I think uh, the third thing is, is the format where it's just the two of us going deep on one topic. So it's not you know reviewing the headlines of the day or talking to different authors or something like that. I, as far as I know... It really is a unique format, and I think you know you, you add the entertainment value to that, and and it explains why 
it is it has really taken off like a rocket. In fact, it's it's amazed me. Um, when I go to South by Southwest every year, people will say, "Oh, I love your blog. I love your blog. I love your books." Last year, everybody said, "Oh, I love your podcast." Every single person didn't even mention my blog. So you know, the podcast is it's it's become a real hit. Nice. Well, congratulations on its success. If you're a listener of the Innovation Engine, check out Mark's podcast as well. As I mentioned, it's called The Marketing Companion, and it's available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, The Grow Blog, and elsewhere that great podcasts can be found. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for coming on today to talk, to talk about growth through innovation. Hey, thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. If you'd like to learn more about Mark Schaefer, you can follow him on Twitter at, at @markwschafer. You can visit his company's website at www.businessesgrow.com. And you can find Mark's books, including The Content Code and The Dow of Twitter, on Amazon.com. Thanks once again to Mark Schaefer for joining us this week. And thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune in to next week's episode when we're excited to go back into the Innovation Engine's vault to bring you some never-before-heard clips from the 2015 cutting room floor. Among the guests whose fresh advice you'll hear are David J. Bland of Neo Innovate, Scott Anthony of InnoSight, and Mitch Ditkoff of Idea Champions. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week. The Innovation Engine podcast is recorded, produced, edited, and published each week by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. To learn more about the company or our services, please visit our website at www.3pillarglobal.com. To sign up to receive the podcast via email each week, you can go to 3pillarglobal.com podcast. You can also subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. And you can download the Innovation Engine's very own iOS app from the iTunes App Store. If you like this week's episode, please give it, and us, a thumbs up in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like to share it on social media, you can use the hashtag Innovation Engine, and be sure to mention at 3PillarGlobal on Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.